Morning, everyone. Is everyone all right? It's good to see you here this morning. Um, thanks for being here, and we hope you're blessed. It's been great to worship the Lord this morning, and it's great to do it in light of um, all that is going on in the world, and um, pray the blessing of the Lord amongst those most broken and hurting and the innocent um, that are um, really experiencing hardship in the world. And as we sing that song, it's important to say when we sing that song, as Chris has alluded to, that we don't... Um, um, the kingdom comes to those who are poor, uh, who have suffered abuse and have suffered violence. You're obviously not blessed because that's happening to you, but the blessing of Jesus comes to you. And so it's important that we just get our heads around that, that as that song also says, we bless those who fight for justice. And if you're here this morning, you're ever going through things like that, it's really important that you know that we want to pray for you and help you and journey with you in those situations and circumstances. And um, it might be as the Lord continues to speak to us this morning, that you might, um, some of those things might be things that you want to respond to and get some prayer and healing from the Lord from. I want to start this morning by reading from just the verse that we finished off with last week, Revelation chapter 22, um, as we kind of kick into the second week of this new series, Presence People. Um, let me just start with this scripture. It's on the screens. It's Dallas Willard's kind of slight paraphrase of this verse, and it says uh, this, and they shall live with his face in view, and that they belong to him will show on their faces. Darkness will no longer be, and they will have no need of lamps or sunlight because God, the Lord, will be radiant in their midst, and they will reign through the ages of ages. And they shall live with his face in view, and that they belong to him will show on their faces. Darkness will no longer be, they will have no need of lamps or sunlight because the Lord will be radiant in their midst and they will reign through the age of ages. Last week we introduced this new theme, um, presence people and what it means to live with his face in view, the face of Jesus. When I was, um, when Annie was just born, she was, um, thankfully she's not here this morning, well she is, but she's in kids so she'd be embarrassed. But um, when she was just a toddler, um, she used to get into bed beside us in the middle of the night, and she used to snuggle right up. She almost seemed to get into my side, right? Or else she got into Rachel's side before I woke up, and she moved her over to my side. But anyway, when she got into bed beside you, she'd snuggle up, and she'd be right in your face. And um, sometimes then I would, like, turn around to try and get to sleep, so my back was to her. And about almost instinctively, I don't know how she did it, she seemed to do it in her sleep, I would just feel this hand come in my face and it would pull my head back round into her face because this is what she really wanted even subconsciously in her sleep, she wanted face to face. And maybe that's an image that helps us think about what the Lord's doing, that even in the actions of a child like that, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, wants to take your face at the moment in whatever way it's directing and pull it right round into his face and in view of his face. Um, last week, we took some time to remind ourselves of our story 
which has been a continual pursuit of the presence of God. And the, the, pil the pilgrimage, if you like, that we've been taking from one building to another building following the cloud, uh, which has ended up with us planting a church and being through different locations, a global pandemic, trying to pursue his presence, and it's led us to this place. And we said last week that our desire, though, is not to settle, that we want to learn not just to be pilgrims on a physical journey, but to be pilgrims of the heart, as Psalm 84 alludes to, that we would, in this season, journey not so much necessarily outward to another building, but that as we journey inwardly in our hearts deeper and deeper into the places where the Lord wants to bring us, then we would become the buildings individually that move into the streets carrying the presence of God. And <clears throat> last week, I, I guess what I wanted to do last week and this week with the help of the Holy Spirit is to try and draw us as a family, church family, into a fresh revelation of the beauty of who Jesus is so that we might find within ourselves more of a desire as we settle in a new building, to seek him maybe more than we ever have, okay? That's, what, that's the holy ambition of this series, that even though we've settled in a building, that we might find something that the Spirit does amongst us that make us want to seek the Lord more than we've ever sought him. And uh, later in this series, we're going to look, um, the guys and myself will be looking at some spiritual disciplines which are tools to help us as individuals and as a community cultivate more of the presence of God in our lives. But the introduction of this series is really important, I believe, because, you see, if the discipline becomes more important than the destination, as we said last week, then ultimately the discipline will suck the life out of you. Um, I can say it right up front, if the discipline becomes more, than the, than the, than the, more important than the destination or the desire even for Jesus, then you'll become a pretty boring legalist. You'll become a pious religious person that the kingdom of God talks lots through, but there's no power with. <laughs> like, think about Jesus. Jesus had a disciplined life, but he was full of joy. He was fully present in every moment, whether it was celebrating at a wedding, playing with kids, or grieving with the broken and the dying. He, uh, you wanted to be around Jesus because his life was full of joy. And we want to know God and be known by God. And we want you to come in just afresh, each of us, to the sheer joy of what it is to know that and to have a glimpse. And that comes by having a fresh glimpse of his face, the beauty and the love which emanates from the face of Jesus. And uh, last week we've tried to weave just really quickly um, our story, if you like, into the big story of Scripture, which we sometimes refer to as the presence paradigm, a way of looking at the Scriptures where the presence of God from the Garden of Eden to the city that we see in Revelation is marked by the presence of God. And from the beginning, Adam seems, we don't know exactly how, but he seems to have been able to have he looked into the face of God and he was imprinted by a father's love, by the love of God. And it's, it's, an, it's amazing that this theme of the face of God carried down through the story of the children of Israel and how even thousands of years before Jesus, the way that the children of Israel understood the presence of God was something to do with the smile and the light that shone from his face which is why this ancient prayer has never gone away. Numbers chapter 6, it's on the screen. The Lord bless you 
and the Lord keep you and the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious on you and the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. It's remarkable, isn't it, that even though the children of Israel had seen God on a mountain come down in power, in such power, that they still, Moses and Aaron still knew that there was something about this all-powerful God, all-knowing God, this other God, this God who split the Red Sea, this God who brought down manna from heaven, this God who went against the gods of Egypt and completely dismantled them. There's something about even the powerfulness of this God that wanted to bless, and it came from a smile, <laughs> a loving smile upon his face, upon his people. And, and so they had to learn how to live in light of his face, and God wants us as his people, to learn how to live in light of his face. And this whole idea of the, the face of God and the presence of God being so interconnected was emphasized because when Moses came out of the presence of God, we are, we are told that his face was glowing. He had, he had an afterglow. And it wasn't just a good suntan. It was, it was being in the presence of God and seeing a glow in his face. And so he had, to, the Bible tells us, he put a veil over his face because the people were slightly freaked out about this. And, they, and Moses also didn't want them to see the glory fading. So he put a veil over his face. And when he put the veil over his face, then it hid, obviously, this afterglow. But when he went back into the presence of God, it came again. And... and and it's further emphasized again by the fact that the word presence actually in Hebrew is the word for face. So when it talks about what you'll read at the end this morning, Moses wanting God's presence to go with them, what it's literally saying is, God, we want your face, nothing less than the light of your face to go with us. That's how intimate it was. And I guess what I've wanted to emphasize over these first two weeks is that as much as we know that in, in our heads and we can kind of go, wow, that's beautiful and that's brilliant. So many of us don't really fully know the reality of that, haven't, haven't lived into the reality of what it is to know the face of God shining upon us in that way. Uh, I put up this picture last week of um, the old Jack Chick publications of that, with the endeavor to share the gospel, depicted a faceless God judging people at the great white throne and it doesn't look that pleasant. And the reality is many of us don't know this and we think of God like this. We either think we never really looked into his face, it seems quite faceless, or what we have seen has been a look of scorn or a look of disappointment or a look of wrath and anger. We've maybe primarily seen that. And this is because sin, sin distorts our image of God. It sabotages the truth of who God really is. And this is what happened to Adam. I, I really believe that the enemy's primary task is not just to get you to sin, but is to distort your image of God. That's what he's been doing from the very beginning. So God had spoke to Adam and Eve, hadn't he, and told them, 
you know, about this good place that he created for them and then just give them one prohibition because he knew it would harm them because they didn't need to know more. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just, you've got the tree of life. It's more than enough. But you can eat of every other different tree. And then the enemy comes, and what does the enemy say? The enemy says, did God really say that? Did God say that? So he puts a seed of doubt in the human being's mind about the goodness of God. And that's what God does. He puts a seed of doubt. And so Adam and Eve began to doubt the full measure of the goodness of God. He can't be that good. He can't be that good, surely. And, and if he was good, then he, he wouldn't prohibit you from doing anything. Uh, Baxter Kruger says this. It's, it's not on the screen, but he says, the actual fall, as we, as we talk about it, came before they ate the fruit. They fell when they stopped believing the truth and believed the lie of the serpent. Almost the argument that the fall began when people and human beings started to doubt and disbelieve the goodness of God. And the result is the face of God. Remember we had that beautiful quote last week about the, the, the mother's face of a newborn and how her, her smile elicits a smile from the newborn because she's almost imprinting her face upon the child. But because sin distorts our image of God, and if the face of God is the place where we're supposed to get our primary identity from, and sin distorts that, then it won't be too long before your understanding of yourself has been distorted. So if the enemy can distort your image of who God is, then he will distort your image and understanding of yourself. And you will begin to feel shame and self-hatred, and fear. And that's what's been rolling on all down through the centuries. But if you go back to Jack Check for a minute, and then we're going to forget about Jack Check, <laughs> thankfully. Well, his picture, bless him, right? This is not who God is. This has never been who God is. God is like Jesus. And here's what I really want to tell you. If it doesn't sound like Jesus and it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not God. Because when God wants to say something, it looks like Jesus. Let me just lift you out of this personally for a minute. When it comes to all the kind of talk that's going around about the Israel-Palestinian thing at the moment, you're going to see lots. You've already seen lots on Facebook. You're going to see lots in the news. You're going to see lots of stuff. You're going to be seeing people taking scriptures and how they're applying them doesn't look like Jesus, doesn't sound like Jesus. That means it's not God. Because when Jesus wanted to say something, the word, the word became flesh and looked like Jesus. Yeah? It looks like Jesus. It always does. And so Paul, Paul wanted the church. This is so central to Christianity and yet so contested because the devil doesn't want you to get a grasp of this. This is what it, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, if you just jump on to the last two verses, Johnny, I'm going to read from, just for time's sake, for what we preach is not ourselves. So the one before that, yeah. For what we preach is not ourselves, 
but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let the God who said, sorry, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. The light of the knowledge of God's glory. The light of the, who wants to know, like to know the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus shone with the beauty of God's face. Jesus' life of sacrificial love, laying down his life of selflessness, reflected who God really is, the giving of himself. And the cross, as we've remembered in communion this morning, was the ultimate, the, ult, the ultimate demonstration of that glory of God. Because, and here's where it's really difficult for the world to understand this, unless the Holy Spirit's shown you this. Because when Jesus is hanging naked, bleeding, pulverized on a cross, carrying the weight of all the sin of the world, totally exposed, he is revealing the glory of God. That's why, as Christians, we call this time at Easter, which is obviously an incredibly difficult time for Jesus because he was hanging on a, we call it good. Not just because it's good news for us, but because what we are seeing there is the very essence of the glory of God, a God who will pour himself out for those who um, and once and didn't deserve it. Um, I love this, this quote. I go back to it all the time from Hans von Balthasar, it says this, being disguised under the disfigurement of an ugly crucifixion and death, Christ upon the cross is paradoxically the clearest revelation of who God is. This is the wisdom of the cross, that is foolishness to the world. But when Jesus is hanging on the cross under this ugly crucifixion and death, he is demonstrating the goodness of who God is. This is, this is how much he loves us. <laughs> this is the essence of God's glory, a co-suffering God who comes to forgive our sin and heal. And this is what I really want you to get today. Not just to forgive our sin, but to heal what sin has done to us. He wants to heal what sin has done to all of our lives. Jesus is pioneering a way for us on the cross so that the presence of God would live in us in a way that would empower us daily to become like him. Jesus is doing on the cross what we cannot do for ourselves so that the power of the cross might be made available to dwell in these mortal bodies. So up until that point, this is a wee bit a wee bit more deep, but it's really important that we get this. Up until that point in the story of God, and then the people of God were trying to live up to, to God's commands, right? The Ten Commandments and the law and the Torah of the Old Testament. They've been given this law. But the summary of the story of the Old Testament is that in and of themselves, they couldn't keep these laws. In fact, what they found was that sin was so damaging that it actually wanted to take advantage of the law. It actually wanted to take advantage of what was good to do more damage with it to themselves and to others. How do you explain this? Well, let's make it really personal. Who, who here is willing to admit that when somebody stands up and gives you what sounds like a bit of an instruction or command, something within you wants not to do that? 
Yeah? Yeah. Good lad, Matt. <laughs> what, which one of you, when we said, um, it would be great if we didn't maybe have tea and coffee in the auditorium, thought, I can't wait to be the first to bring tea and coffee into the auditorium, right? Chris, and he give the announcement, right? <laughs> By the way, that's not that big a deal. We're just trying to look after the building. What I'm just trying to say is, there's something in us. We see it as kids. Now, at one level, it's kind of fun and mischievous. And that's fine. But on another level, if we pride ourselves in that, if we, so it's not just, it's actually dysfunctional. Because if we pride ourselves in that, well, I'm going to do what I want. We find ourselves justifying the decisions that we make and we actually find it sin, self, the desire to be and to do what I want can be so strong that it actually even takes advantage of what is good. That's what the commands taught us, the children of Israel, and the, and the reflection of that. So what I'm trying to say is, you see, your heart longs for grace, but your flesh actually often resists it. Right? Your, your heart longs for grace, but something in us, and we'd be safer off just admitting it because then we can get free of it. <laughs> right? But what we actually trying to do, tend to do is we justify it and even sometimes stick scriptures beside what we justify to make it feel even more... Um, you know, scratching the edge within, within us. But that becomes deceitful and really, really damaging. But here's the power of the cross. Jesus came to make a power available to us to overcome even that part so that we can nail that part of us to the cross in order, with Jesus, in order to live into the fullness of the liberty of this. This is why the apostles really wanted the people of God in the New Testament, the new churches, to really get a glimpse of just what Jesus had done that was so much better than even what had gone before, which was good. And so Paul says this to the Colossians. He says, um, chapter 2, I think it is, verse 13, he says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your faith, God made, and your, of your flesh, sorry, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here, what you need to realize is a great victory happened at the cross. Like Jesus disarmed the power of our sin. He disarmed the power of hell, and he disarmed that part of us to make it really personal that just wants our own way. Jesus did something to allow us to have that part of us nailed to the cross so that we can enter into the fullness of who we were always created to be. And so what, I, what, we, what we want to really try and get across, what I want to try and get across today is this power, where does this power come from? It comes from the face of the resurrected Jesus who shines upon us victorious, powerful, glorious love. It comes from the face of the one that we were always supposed to look upon, but because of sin, it's distorted who and what we look upon, and so we miss, we miss the purity and the love and the light that flows from the Father's face. And this is why my deepest desire is in this season of our church life that each and every one of us get a fresh glimpse of the face of Jesus again, of the face of God, the face of the Father revealed in Jesus, 
Because if we get a glimpse of the goodness and the glory and the power that is connected to that goodness and glory, then something within us wants to respond to that to say, God, you are, you are worth me giving up everything so that I can become more like who I was supposed to look at. I, I want you, we want you to know this. We want you to know the lived reality of living with his face in view, freed from sin and healed from all that sin does to us. I want you to know this. I want you to know, know this. Uh, when we talk about knowing in English, it's, it's such a poor substitute for what knowing meant in biblical Hebrew. It was the word yada. Uh, yada was knowledge that is not just in the mind but knowledge with all of our senses if you knew something when we say we know something we, we kind of mean we believe it sort of conceptually or intellectually but in Hebrew when it said that people knew knew something or knew someone it was felt with their whole being it was the relational experiential awareness of what you knew in your head. Who, know, who knows that if you put your hand on a hot stove, it'll burn you? Yeah. Who knows? Who, who's done it? Anybody done it? Anybody touched a fire? Right? So some of us know it. Some of us know it. <laughs> when, it comes to, when it comes to love, it was, when, it, when it comes to loving somebody, like every single one of you, uh, those of you who are blessed to have kids, you maybe tell your children you love them. You don't want them just to believe it. You, you, want, them, you want them to know it. Some of you commented on um, the prophetic word that Pete gave him when we were pushed down through the, or we were carried down through crowd surf, prayer surf, whatever we call it, Phil and I down through those lines in the church. Some of you really commented on seeing my dad <laughs> underneath me, kind of carrying me. And so many of you said you were really moved by that. And here's, here's me thinking all these other random people were touching my backside. But it was, actually, it was actually my dad the whole time. I didn't know that until I watched the video too. And it kind of moved me as well. Because um, here's the thing. I know... I, I know in my being he loves me. I know it. Actions like that just confirm it, but I know it. I just really sense this morning that there's a gap in some of our lives. We don't fully know it. We don't yada it. You've maybe believed it all your life, but you don't yada. Yada. <laughs> the love of God revealed in the face of Jesus. It's like the knowledge has to be driven from your head down into your heart. But you can't really drive it down. The only way that it can come is if you see him again. I can preach down blue in the face. Hopefully the preaching helps. But ultimately, you have to see it. You have to see his face. And what I'd, love, what I'd love by the Holy Spirit you to get revelation of in this series that we're talking about is 
what Jesus has done for us has meant there is always more of his face to see. And so even for me personally, well, my, my dad's, thank God, I'm incredibly blessed. He's not perfect at all. There's things that he regrets and there's all of those kind of things. But for the most part, he's been a good reflection to me of the Father heart of God. But he's not God. I need to see the face of God again revealed in Jesus. Now we can be that on to one another, but more than that, as we come into worship and as we come to God, he wants us to, to see him. And the good news is that there is an ever-enfolding level of God's glory to be seen in the face of Jesus. This is what he did for us. See, up until this point, up until the point in the story when Jesus came, the law was trying to control sin, keep it under wraps, <laughs> contain it, but never really transform us. When Jesus came, something different happened in this stunning radical act of grace, doing for us what we could not do for himself. He not just forgave our sin and healed us from the damage of sin, he opened up a way for us to see him unfold from glory unto glory unto glory, which is why I read that verse at the very start. We will live forever with his face in view, and that we know him will show on our faces. And so we're going to read, I'm going to close this off quite soon because I'd love us to pray this morning. A few things I do want to say, though, and I want to bring it all to this particular scripture. When Paul then in 2 Corinthians 3, then in verse 7, there's a few verses here, about 10 verses to read, and I'd love you to kind of come with me through them because they help summarize so much of what I've been talking about. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So it's, see what it's doing here? It's comparing the law, what came in the Old Testament, and what came through Jesus. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put the veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It's not been removed, because only in Christ is the veil taken away. But even this, to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, picture a bride just turning to look into the face of her beloved one, the bridegroom. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, lock eyes with them. The veil's taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Get set free. And all we now, with unveiled faces, there's nothing... Because of Jesus, the sin that distorts our image with God can be dealt with so we can see him for who he is. 
With unveiled faces, behold, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The one who loved you first and the one who will love you last has made a way for us to look into his face constantly and continually and be transformed. Moses covered up because he didn't want them to see that the glory of the old covenant was fading because it was never supposed to fade. <laughs> it was never supposed to fade. And now in Jesus, we've been opened up to what Adam and Eve were supposed to know forever, which was to live in light of God's face. And so there's always more of his face to seek, church. Each of us individually, there's always more of his face to seek for you. And I really sense this is where the Lord is leading us as a church as a people who will seek his face. And you can say it so quickly and so glibly, but I really do believe that, that we will know, we will yada his face. We will seek his face. And it starts with you responding to God's invitation because that, that's been the invitation that's always gone out to humanity. We read it last week, but let me pop it up again. Psalm 27. When... You said, or when I heard you said, some translations say, seek my face. My heart said, your face, Lord, I will seek. You, you, were, you were created with this constant invitation from God to say, seek my face, seek my face. And the thing about it is, as I've said, grace, your heart longs for that. But your flesh actually resists it. And so as you're kind of <clears throat> bring this into a bit of a land in this morning. Every single one of us have probably got some particular part of our lives that we're not quite sure we want to present before the face of God. Something in you almost resisted because you maybe don't even think you're worthy of it. But Jesus wants it. Jesus wants to look at it. And in looking at it, he wants to transform it into his love. And so what happens is when, when, when we do that, when we lock eyes with Jesus, then it's the, what we then begin to experience is what we talk about, the manifest presence of God. The, the felt, tangible, yada reality of his presence. What, why is it? Is it just because we pray a bit more, you know, you know, get, get kind of really outwardly religious or holy? No, it's because, picture it like this, it's because God has always got his eye upon you. He's always looking upon you. And when we come together, think of it collectively, when we come together, God is waiting for us. He's looking towards us with eyes that burn with love. And when we decide to move out of a place of sin or move out of a place of distraction and set our hearts to gaze into his face. It's like then we experience the intensity of that love. And because we experience the intensity of that love, we know it, like we call it the manifest sense of his presence because we've come in to the felt lived reality of his love. And that's what I think the Lord has for us. God comes 
where he's wanted. God will come where he's wanted. And I'm going to have a few other things here, but I'm going to close this off because I think God wants to minister to people. God wants us to be those who, like Moses of old, would say, God, I've seen your, I've seen some of the things that you can do. You can split the Red Sea. <laughs> you, can, you can bring down manna from heaven. You, you can disarm the principalities and powers of Egypt. But when it comes to it, if you do not go, if you only do things for us, and we don't have your face, we're not moving from this point. We're not going anywhere. It's kind of like no deal with God. And I just believe for some of us this morning, it's that kind of a moment where God wants to bring you further and deeper into his presence. Let me read this final quote. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a song. It's an old song. Um, but it's one that's kind of endured. Some of you might recognize it. Other of you might not. The lyrics are going to be on the screen, and that's going to be a response this morning. And I want it to be a prayer. And the words are, show me your face, God. Show me your face. Your glory and your grace. I will make it in the end if I can just see your face. Yeah? Here, here's a prayer of A.W. Tozer's before we show this this song. And I think this maybe encapsulates where some of us are this morning. I read this when I was 18 and I come back to it all the time. Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more and painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be more thirsty. It's a bit more honest, isn't it, than just going, I want you. <laughs> Sometimes we sing that line so glibly and so easily, but I've always come back to the honesty of this prayer. God, I, I want to have a want. I long to have a longing. I thirst to even be thirsty. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I might know thee indeed. Begin in mercy, begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me the grace to rise and follow you from this misty lowland where I have wandered far too long. Let's just listen to this song, could we, as Johnny puts it. I think the words are on the screen as well. Let it become a prayer and then I'm going to encourage you to respond.
David knew there was something more than the ark of your presence in a manger Messiah was born among kings and peasants and all of Israel saw the glory and it shined down through the age now you've called us to boldly seek your face show me your face Lord Show me your face And then guard up my life That I might stand in this holy place Show me your face, Lord Your power can just
think need to respond. If we can be as bold as saying that, but it's because the Lord wants to speak. I think for some of us, these new comfort, anything you don't want to categorize as to go to really, really good songs, it's just this is virtually not not bad and pleased with the Lord, but Moses stood. This is triggered hunger. There's like a root of self-hatred. That uh, Jesus wants to deal with today. He doesn't want you to live with that anymore. Part of yourself that you just do not like. And God doesn't want it to go on anymore. And he wants to show you a part of his face. So, so as we just play this song, I just want to encourage you to start coming. I'm going to pray. And uh, as I pray, I just want to encourage you to start coming for prayer.